the hard part about the text that we're going to be going through tonight is, is uh, Peter assumes that his, his readers know about the promises of God because he's, he's spent a lot of time with them. You see, so this church, the churches that Peter's writing to, he's, he was like their founding pastor. He spent a lot of time with them. He taught them the gospel. And one thing he taught them over and over again was, was the promises of God. So he talks to them in this letter as if they already kind of know these promises, and he hits them really quickly. He doesn't go into a lot of time about it. So, so we're kind of behind the ball, essentially, when we're reading this. He's reading to people who really understand these things, but we haven't really gone over them. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to hear about this one promise of God that is just so spectacular, so glorious. It's like all the promises of God point to this one promise. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And it's special, and this is what it is, okay? That Jesus is coming back. And I'm going to extrapolate that on that. I'm going I'm to explain that. I'm going to do some work so we can kind of understand what that means. But, but that's the whole thing. Tonight, what I want you to walk away with is that you should remember that Jesus is, is coming back, okay? Let's read this whole text together before we dive into it, and then I can run you through this outline that I'm going to be working through tonight. So the first thing that we're starting out with, we're in 2 Peter 112, and we're going through the rest of the chapter. So guys, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on your phones, there's apps you can get, or there's a Bible right on your, on your, uh, on your table, and you can look right there. But Harley's also going to have the verses on the screen. We're going to start with verse 12 right now. So this is what Peter's saying when he's writing to this church. He says this, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Here's why. Because I know that I will soon put it aside. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Verse 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So let me just walk you through the things that I noticed that Peter is doing, because there's like a lot in there, right? Some of that was probably really confusing, and we're going to kind of walk through it. But here's what Peter goes through. The first thing we see in this text, especially starting with verse 12, we see Peter's urgency. Okay, if you guys want handlebars for tonight, you can write these down. Just remember these. The first thing you're going to see is Peter's urgency for why he's even writing this letter. The second thing you're going to see is Peter's message. What was he teaching them? What is Peter's message? What has he been so urgent about telling them? The third thing we're going to look at is how God assures that message. God's assurance. And the last thing we're going to look at is Peter's takeaways and, and the conclusion that we have from this text, what we're going to do for, with it. So let's pray right now, and let's just ask God for help. Um, Heavenly Father, um, I'm just so privileged and honored, God, to, to be here with these people. 
God, I'm, I'm asking that you would just protect me from saying anything foolish. God, I, I, uh, I ask that you would just put your words in my mouth. God, I ask that you'd help make this message understandable and that you would just apply this to our hearts, especially mine, Lord. And I ask this in the name of your son. Amen. So let's look at that first thing, Peter's urgency. Let's go back to verse 12. I'm just going to kind of work through this scripture. That's kind of what we're doing. So I'm going to read it again for you. Verse 12, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So the first thing I want you guys to pick up, here's why he's urgent. Peter's dying. Okay, so Peter's dying. Jesus made it clear to Peter, Peter, you're going to die soon. So usually when people are dying, there's, there's this kind of thought, like, what's your last word going to be? You know, and usually people really, really want to lean into somebody's last words. Like, what are the last thing you're going to say? You know, it's important. It has like a weight to it. So these words that Peter's talking to us about, they have weight. They have urgency. He's about to die, and there's something he needs the church to know. I believe there's something that God needs us to know tonight. And, and this is what Peter knows. He, 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 what he does with his, with his last words, it's really interesting. He reminds the church of things, right? Verse 12, so I always remind you of these things. And at the end of it, the, the, the purpose of it is so you'll be able to remember them when I'm gone. So there's things he wants us to remember. And here's why he needs to give us reminders is because Peter knows our, how much we need reminders, there's two things, that, two observations that he has about our reminders. We have a, a great capacity for doubt, right? And we have a great capacity to forget, especially Christians, when it comes to the promises of God, right? We really do. And that's a problem, since if you remember what Corey was talking about, if you remember just like the things I was just sharing with you, that's a problem, since we're supposed to grow by believing in the great and precious promises of God. And that, that's not just a problem for us today, right? That, that, the situation that Peter's dealing with is, is actually really interesting. So let me guys give you just a, a little bit of context. God made this promise a long time ago to his people that he would come and restore the earth to what it was supposed to be, right? If you look at your Bible in Genesis, the first two pages of it, you'll see that God created the earth, he created the heavens, he created the oceans, he created creation, he's the creator, and he said that it was good. And he didn't just say it was good. He said it was, it was very good. But man came in, and we sinned, and, and we messed it up. So, but, but God is so faithful. He made a promise to us that he would restore creation to what it was supposed to be. Right? And so hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting for this to happen, and then Jesus comes on the scene. He says, I'm God. I'm the guy that's going to bring this about. He dies. He rises again in the resurrection, and everybody believes him to be God, at least Peter. The people, he's following, the people that are following Jesus, his disciples, what they were called, they're like, yeah, you are God. And Peter had this conversation with him right before he left the earth. He said, so is it time? Is it time for you to restore the earth? Is it time for you to take all the sin away and make this a, a good place again? And this is Jesus' response. It was, it was pretty interesting. He, he basically said, no, it's not time. It's not time, but it, but it will be when I come back. It will be when I come back. So, so this is kind of where we are. It's been 40 years since Jesus said that to Peter. And now there's this generation of people that God told he's going to come back and make things right. And they're dying. 
And they're getting worried. Like, like when is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And so false teachers, people who were uh, not teaching the truth, they come in and they say, Jesus isn't going to come back. Live however you want. He's not coming back. He's not going to fulfill that promise. So there's this big question of, of, of where is Jesus? And, and Peter has this message for them. He needs them to remember the promises of God. That one promise of God that he is going to come back. I need you to remember that. Let's, let's look at his message. That's the next thing we're going to look at. Um, let's look at verse 16. 2 Peter 1.16. That's, that's the heart of Peter's message. This is what he needs them to know in this time of doubt. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So this is, what Peter's, this is Peter's message. According to the scriptures, according to Jesus himself, Jesus is coming back with power. He's coming back with power. That's his message and there's some things, you know, I already told you, Peter's been spending a lot of time with these people, so they would have understood three things about that promise, okay? And I'm going to tell you these things. Here's the first one. When Jesus comes back with power, he's going to restore creation, okay? He's going to restore creation. And here's the point I want to make with that. Restoration is not recreation, okay? It's not, dis- it's not getting rid of something and making something new. So have you guys ever seen Pawn Stars by chance? Anybody in this room? Yeah? Did you guys ever watch an episode maybe where there's like this old Chevy that came in, it was full of rust. He bought it. He's like, this is value, but I'm going to restore it so it has even more value. And so what does he do? He takes it to this guy, big restoration guy, and what they do is they scrub off the rust. They take away the rust. And they do some stuff to it, and what comes out is a car that looks brand new. He didn't buy the car, destroy the car, buy another car. No, he bought this car, and he restored it to what it was supposed to be. You guys understand? That's what Jesus is going to do with the world. He's going to take away what is bad, so what's left is only what is good. You guys understand? Yeah? Okay. Here's the second thing that Jesus is going to do when he comes back. He's going to bring resurrection. When Jesus comes back, there will be a great resurrection. And let me put some, just some clarity to that. There is not one person who has ever lived or who will live who will not rise on that day. But there are some who will be pardoned of their sin, and there are some who won't be. Those who trust in Jesus will know him forever. Those who trust in Jesus will know him forever. So we said uh, when God comes back, he's going to restore creation. They would have understood that. He's going to resurrect. He's going to bring resurrection. And here's the last thing that they would have understood about this promise is that God will come back and he will reign and rule forever. He will reign and rule forever. Isaiah 9 says Jesus will reign on the throne with justice and righteousness forever. Here's why that's such good news. Just think about it. We have rulers who just honestly, they make bad decisions. They bring evil. You know, the world is, is messed up. But we can see that. But what if there was a king, such a high and glorious king that brought like actual justice to the poor? That he freed the one who's been oppressed That's what Jesus is going to be like. He's going to bring righteousness. That's a super churchy word for he's going to bring goodness back to creation. He's going to reign with goodness and justice. Okay, so so in this text that Peter has, 
I want us to look at um, verse 16 one more time. Let's look at that, because Peter is saying Jesus is coming back, and he, he makes two observations about this promise, okay? Two observations. The first one is what his message isn't. What does he say? We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord. That promise that Jesus is coming back, it's not a cleverly invented story. It's not a myth. It's not just something that you can know and use for your betterment and you can learn some weird thing from it and and be a better person. No, no. Here's what it is, according to Peter, a historical reality. A historical, factual reality. The Christian hope is tangible. Like you can taste it. And let me try and give you guys an illustration to explain that because I know that probably just wasn't super clear. Um, When I was dating my wife, at one point when we were dating, I told her, I was like, I'm, I think I'm going to marry you someday. In fact, I want to, and I, I will. And I was actually talking to her the other night about it. I was like, so when did, when did you know you could believe that? When did you know that you could believe that promise, that I would love you for the rest of my life, and I would forsake all others just for you? And, and this is what she said. I believed you when you proposed to me. I believed you when you got down on the knee and you put a ring on my finger. And all of a sudden, that promise of a wedding day, it wasn't just like this ethereal thing. It wasn't just a thought. That It became a tangible hope. You know, like it became, it wasn't just like, oh, that'd be great if we get married someday. No, it became like, we're getting married. We're getting married. You guys see? The Christian hope, it's a, it's a tangible hope. And, And so I did something in that proposal. I did something that brought my wife assurance of that promise. I proposed to her. And in this text, what we, what we read, and we're going to read it again, is that Jesus, God did something to give Peter assurance for that great promise. And we're going to look at that, and we're going to pray that God would give us um, that assurance that he, he gave to Peter. So just so you guys know, we, we've gone through Peter's, Peter's urgency. We know why it was so urgent. He was dying, and he knows they need to remember something. And here's what they needed to remember. Jesus is coming back. And I need you to know something. God gave like assurance for that promise. And that's where we're at. We're going to look at God's assurance. Let's look at verse 16 again, and we're going to keep reading, um, I think, through verse 18. Okay? So, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. I love, this is my son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. So this is an event, this is a really big word, and I don't know if everybody knows about this thing. It happens in uh, the Gospels, but there's this event that happens, and the writers call it the transfiguration, okay? So here's what it is. God took three of his disciples, and Peter was one of them, up on this mountain, and he did, and three things happened. Jesus showed his glory. Okay? Jesus shined. He showed his glory. It said his, his face was transfigured, and he was, even his robes and his clothes became white. One, one author says it, it looked like lightning. Okay? He showed his glory to these people. The next thing he showed was, was his majesty. Look at that, verse 16. But we were eyewitness of his majesty. And the last thing that happens is Jesus is honored by the Father. He's lifted up in this moment. He's lifted up in this moment. So let me explain to you guys, if you guys don't know, this word glory, it's, it's almost like the weight of somebody. 
It's like the weight of their presence. Jesus showed them the presence and the weight, the weight of the presence of God. They were standing in the presence of God. And he also showed his majesty. That's, it's almost like his royalty. It's almost like his royalty. Jesus showed them, no, 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 I am the king above every king. I am God. And he was lifted up by his father. And, and this is what it taught Peter. This is what it taught Peter. This is the assurance that it gave Peter. That transfiguration, the transfiguration, it assured Peter that Jesus will come back in power. And let me explain to you how it does that. Okay? So have you guys ever heard, I'm, I'm almost positive you guys have, that the uh, picture is worth a thousand words? Yeah? You guys have heard that? So Jesus in this moment, he gives, pic, he gives Peter a, a picture that says just one word. One amazing, spectacular, awesome word. In this picture, this is what Jesus says, I am God and I will rule the earth. For a moment, Jesus sets down his robes. You see, he came in humility. He was born into a major. He suffered on a cross. For just this one moment in his ministry, he sets down his robes and he puts on his glorious crown. For a moment, he showed his glory and he was honored by the Father in heaven. This picture says, though I came humbly, I will rule gloriously. I will rule gloriously. You guys see? You guys see this picture, this glory. He will have nothing less than the highest throne. He'll have nothing less, and that's what it said. It also gave Peter uh, assurance of, of God's power. You see, to fulfill that promise, I'm going to come back, I'm going to restore things, I'm going to bring resurrection, you need, you need power. But Jesus, in this moment, he shows Peter that he has the ability to bring these promises about, and he will settle for nothing less than bringing them about, because he is the king above every king. What other king shines with glory? Who else is clothed and robed in majesty? Who else has God the Father elected to raise above all others? There's nobody. Nobody else. So, so let me put this just as, as simple as I possibly can if what I said was, was confusing to you. The transfiguration assured Peter of, of like two things. First one is that God can return and establish his rule in the earth and restore creation. And the second thing is that God will have nothing less. God will have absolutely nothing less. And so now here comes the takeaways, what, what Peter wants us to get from this, what Peter wants us to get from this. Here's, here's one of Peter's greatest takeaways that, that, that he can trust the scriptures now because they were authored by God and not by man. The fact that God showed Peter he was coming back to rule and reign told Peter that the initial promises that came through the prophets, they didn't come from the prophets. They didn't come from the prophets like imagination. They didn't just like boil up in their heads. No, no, no. It came from God, and this, this moment really showed that. And so Peter, seeing that, he says, no, no, no. We can trust the scriptures. God is fulfilling the scriptures it was God who promised that he's going to come and rule the earth because it's God who showed up here and just demonstrated this kingly power. Of course it's God who made these promises. So we can trust his scriptures. Look at verse 19 through 21. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. So these are Peter's takeaways. As to a, a light shining in a dark place until that day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, 
you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation or imagination. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They are carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if Peter's saying we can trust the Scriptures because they were written by God, there's, just, there's usually like three parts in the Scriptures. There's, there's promises, there's instructions, and there's stories. And I want to tell you why it's such good news that God authored these things for us and what that means for us today. So God's promise, they weren't written by man. They were written by God, and that's a big deal. Have you guys ever had somebody uh, like promise something on your behalf? You know, promise something on your behalf. Um, sometimes that doesn't work out. There's a few reasons. Sometimes it's because you can't always do what other people think you can do. Sometimes it's because you just don't want to do what other people promised you into. And, and other times, if we're just being honest, we just promise people we can do something when we can't actually do it. But there's good news for us, because all the promises of God that you find in the Scriptures, they were authored by God, according to Peter. And this means a few things. Somebody else didn't commit God to do things that he doesn't want to do. All those prophecies, all those promises that you see in scriptures, God wants to fulfill them. He's the one that made these promises. It means that God cares about you. It means that God cares about creation, and he wants to restore the world. He wants to bring the freedom that he promised. He wants to bring the resurrection that he promised. It also means that God is not just willing to do the promises that you find in scripture. He's not just like, yeah, okay, yeah, I can do that, so I'll do it. He has the ability and the capacity to bring them into a reality. I'm going to say that again. God isn't just willing to do the promises you find in Scripture. He has the ability and capacity to bring them into reality. God has the ability to raise you from the dead. God has the ability to make things right in the world. He has the capacity to love a sinner like you and me. And if you want proof, look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. Look at the transfiguration. He has the power and authority to bring an end to sin and suffering, and he will do it. He will settle for nothing less, and that is really good news for us. The second thing you're going to see in scriptures, I already told you guys, but it's, it's God's instructions. You can trust the instructions of God because he, he wants the best for his, his children. What father wishes to harm his child? What good father? And he, In Matthew 7, this is what Jesus says, his own words says, even an evil father knows how to give good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him then? So part of God, and I really do think this is like from God to this ministry tonight, okay? So listen, take this note or, or something. Part of God saving you from your suffering is him telling you how to not sin your way into it. You guys get that? He wants the best for you. His instructions aren't to put parameters on your life just so you can be miserable. I think a lot of people think the Christian life is miserable because, hey, we don't maybe go and party or we don't go and indulge in ways that other people get to and they think it's really fun. But if we're being really honest, a lot of those things lead to a lot of pain, right? They really do. So part of God saving you from your suffering is in telling you how to not sin your way into it. A good father doesn't give rules for punishment. He gives rules for betterment, and God is a good father. God is a good father. And here's the last thing you're going to find in scriptures, God's, God's stories. You can trust the stories in the Bible because God wrote them, and they're all about him. If you want to get to know somebody, you can't just ask them the facts about themselves. You, you, you listen to their stories. 
right? So when I was first starting to get to know Nicole, I think when we would talk sometimes, it'd be, oh, what's your favorite color, you know, and, and that type of stuff. But if you, if you really, really want to get to know somebody, you listen to them, right? You listen to their stories. You listen to their stories. And today, God's saying to you, if you want to know more about me, read the stories. Read the stories. So here's another conclusion that Peter came to. You can trust the scriptures because they lead you to God, okay? The first thing, all those things that I was just talking to you about was under this category. You can trust the scriptures because they were authored by God, because they were written by God. And now, Peter's saying you can trust the scriptures because they lead you to God. Harley, can you put up verse 19? Is it up there? Do you have it? Yeah, so check this out. We also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. There's a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So those promises, the instructions, the, the stories that I just talked to you about that you can trust, they're like a lamp shining in a dark place, according to Peter. So, so pay attention to the scriptures because they're, they're all about Jesus and they lead you to Jesus. So me handing you a Bible and telling you to trust these words in it are like me handing you a flashlight and telling you to trust it to lead you through the darkness that you're in. That's what, that's what Peter's saying. Which, by the way, I'm not saying if you just do all the instructions or something that you'll find life. I'm telling you that every word in here, in here, every word in here points to the source where you can find life. Everlasting life. And that source is Jesus. It's not... The, the flashlight to navigate the, the pain of life. It's the flashlight that leads you to the creator of life. And according to Peter, if you trust the Bible as, as authored by God and you use it as a flashlight to navigate, to, to search for God, there, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when Jesus rises in your heart and becomes your Lord, becomes your king. There will be. All right. So those are kind of Peter's takeaways for us in that text. And now I want to give you uh, just some of my own, uh, like three of my own, just kind of random takeaways that, that I kind of got from this. So uh, our founding pastor, our founding pastor, his name was Tom Schrader, and he used to have this saying, and uh, it was kind of controversial, but I'm going to be honest, I, I really love it. This is what he says, suffering can only last a lifetime. Suffering can only last a lifetime, and that's really good news when you have an eternity right? There is a great, great hope, a living hope with this promise that Jesus is going to come back and make all things right because there will be a day when your suffering will end. God will settle for nothing less than giving his children absolute and perfect peace and joy in the life to come. It was promised. It was promised. And, and let me just make this point, okay? The, the whole point of the gospel isn't so that you'll feel good about yourself. You know, it's not just so that you can like, feel good and, and have all these things. The gospel isn't about you. It's a, it is about Jesus. Jesus is the point of the gospel. But, but on that day, when Jesus is, is honored and glorified above every name and ruler and king, on that day, when Jesus sits on the throne, above every throne, he will also sit and reign exclusively on the throne of your heart. He will reign exclusively on the throne of your heart. And this is what that means. There's going to be a day when Jesus rises over your lifelong depression. There's going to be a day when Jesus rises over your anxiety, when Jesus rises over your ambitions, your dreams, and your intentions, and your thoughts. There's going to be a day when sin will not keep you from joy or rest anymore. 
And that day will come when Jesus comes, and Jesus is coming. That day will come when he comes, and Jesus is coming. Jesus will rule in your heart just as he will rule on the earth, and your joy will be complete. Jesus will not settle for anything less than the throne above every throne, and that includes your heart. You will not be the master of how you feel. Sin will not be the master of how you feel. God will be the master of everything that you experience. And that's really, really good news. So therefore, don't give up. And keep pressing on towards Jesus and godliness and supplementing your faith with with virtue and goodness and self-control and love that God has supplied you because there's going to be a day that he comes back. And here's my second little takeaway from all this. Um, I think this is kind of just one of those obvious points that you get to when when you talk about Jesus coming back again. Don't wait to follow Jesus. Don't wait to repent. Um, Scripture's pretty clear, and I think life is just pretty obvious to us that the days are evil. Days are evil. You have no idea how long you're, you're going to live. You don't, you don't know. You just don't know. Part of this message should be a warning to people who live as if God isn't coming back. And, and honestly, God hasn't come back because he's being patient with us, not because he's not being faithful. Okay, some people will say, well, where is Jesus? He hasn't come back. He's not God. You guys are following a myth. No, later in this text, I think Shannon is going to be teaching it later. God hasn't come back because he's being massively patient with you. He wants you to come to know him. He wants you to enjoy him and be satisfied with him. He's being patient with you. So don't wait to follow Jesus. Don't wait to turn around. Don't wait to repent. And here's the last thing. And we're going to land the plane with this. The last little takeaway I think we get from this is we need to share our stories. You need to share your stories with one another. You need to share your stories with your neighbor because God uses what he has done in your life to give assurance to others. You see that with Peter. You see that with the story that God gave Peter, and he uses it to encourage the entire church. I mean, we are thousands of years removed from this story, and we are being encouraged by it tonight. God uses these things. And I think... um, it's just really important that we, we share these stories. The one thing of awkwardness about teaching this message is, is that I wasn't an eyewitness of this thing. And Peter's, like, the compelling thing that Peter is saying to these people, what does he say in verse 16? I was an eyewitness of his majesty. Listen to me, guys. So the, the, what's awkward about me standing up here and talking about this, I wasn't the eyewitness of that. But I have been an eyewitness of the faithfulness of God. Like, God has been... I can't even tell you how faithful he has been to me. I, I would love to talk to you guys about it. And I want you guys to share those types of stories with each other. In fact, I know each and every one of you have, have been eyewitnesses of what God has done in your life, maybe a friend. But you have to share that with each other. In fact, you have a responsibility to encourage and give assurance to your brothers and sisters by telling them these stories. So love one another by doing that. Speak to each other. Grow in a relationship with one another. And share the goodness of God with each other. Okay, let's pray. God in heaven, you are glorious. And Lord, I am so glad that we can trust in your promise to come back. God, it is a hope. It is a living hope. It's a hope that that we can taste. It's a hope that we can trust. Lord, I I really pray that uh, in trusting these promises, Lord, you would teach us to just enjoy you and to be satisfied in you. God, to choose how to to choose to follow you 
above the ways of the world and Lord, be so satisfied with you. God, thank you for your word and for teaching us tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.